John chapter 3. I'm going to read, and you'll just follow along as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And Father, as we look at these verses As we dig in a little bit, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that every soul that is here, every one of us who hears these words, who sees these words on the pages of our Bibles or on the screen before us or whatever it may be, Lord, we pray that you would write these words upon the tablets of our hearts. And Lord, that we would leave from this place utterly amazed, utterly astounded at the reality of the depth and the width, the height and the depth of your love for us. So God, we bow before you now. Pour your spirit upon this place, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Of course, in John 3.16, the love of God is highlighted. That's a highlight of the verse, isn't it? That for God so loved the world that he gave. But we also see the reality of not only God's love for us, but what he did Because of his love for us, he gave his only begotten son. And that gift that he gives to us, his son, that is given because it is the only gift that can be given. It is the only means by which we can have our greatest need met. The need of the salvation of our souls. The gift of life through Jesus Christ. And of course, there is this connection of the coming of Christ and then him going to that cross to be raised up, to die for us, to take our sin upon himself, to remove our sin from us as we look to him in faith. But that's connected to the born again experience because as that happens, he does indeed give us life. He places his spirit within us. But this is a gift from God that cannot be duplicated, nor in any way can we find that gift of life through any means of our own. We'll find life nowhere else but in Jesus Christ himself. Now, as we look at this verse, for God so loved the world, the the word love is such a familiar word to us. 
uh, almost too familiar. And certainly even in the scriptures, it's a familiar word because we see it so often in the scriptures. But in the scriptures, it has a, a meaning of so much greater depth than, what, than the way we use it in our own lives. Commonly, as we speak to one another, as we write things, as we read things, whatever it may be. You know, I, I can say that I can say that I love God. I can say that God loves me. I can say that I love my mom, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my friends. I can say that I love baseball. I can say that I love a good, juicy ribeye steak. I love to have a hot dog at the baseball game, a Dodger dog, right? What about those Dodgers? <laughs> I hope the season that they, that they play is as good as the offseason that they've had so far. Anyway, um, but we, we talk about love in so many different ways, and that's the point that I'm making. But it obviously doesn't apply the same way in, the, in all of those contexts. But the word love here in the New Testament, of course, we're familiar with the Greek word agape. That's the noun form of the word love. Agape love, the love of God. Agapao is the verb form of that word, and that's what we see here in John 3.16, for God so loved, he, he agapao, his love for us. In Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament, I, I want to read what it says about this word as it applies to God. It says, love can be known only from the actions it prompts. God's love is seen in the gift of his son. You see that in 1 John 4, 9 through 10. But obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its object. We see that in, John, in Romans 5.8, which we'll read in just a, few, uh, a, 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 just a moment. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. And we find that in Deuteronomy 7. In respect of agapao, as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being towards entirely unworthy objects. Let me say that again. Entirely, completely unworthy objects. That's us. Producing and fostering a reverential love in them towards the giver and a practical love towards those who are partakers of the same and a desire to help others to seek the giver. I referenced a couple of verses there in, in looking at that. And the idea of God's love being seen in the gift of his son. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, 
that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to satisfy the wrath of God. He took the wrath that is due to us in regard to our sin toward him and the separation that that brings and his anger towards sin and the way that sin destroys us. But this the idea of propitiation is God providing a means by which he will be satisfied. And it's only through his son. Romans 5.8, we refer to in regard to how uh, this love of God is not drawn out by any excellency in us. Well, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, we were in the condition of being sinners, Jesus at that point died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and, and the same thought in regard to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Moses writing, of course, the Lord did not set his love on you, as he's speaking to the people of Israel, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The point, of course, being that God doesn't love us because we're so lovable. He doesn't love us because we are worthy of being loved. He doesn't love us because we've done anything to, re to cause him to love us. He loves us because that's just what he does. He loves. God is love, right? And so he loves us. We like to think that, he, that, that we are worthy of his love. We, 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 it's just our nature to think much more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, I mean, th there are some of us who perhaps, per who, who perhaps think that after we received Christ and we came to him, joined his church, and now he can use us in his church and ministry that he got quite the gift. Boy, you're, God, you're so lucky to have me. I'm sure you've looked at me for a while. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. As I'm thinking about that, you know, I mentioned the Dodgers earlier, you know, and, and many, many baseball teams were looking at Shohei Otani over the last, over the last few years. Now, we're not even going to talk about, uh, about whether or not he, he's worth $700 million. <laughs> the Dodgers apparently think so. 
And I think he could rightly say in terms of baseball in the context of all that, I'm sure you're glad you got me. That's not our case, especially in terms of the way what, what, what um, the, the reality of the fact that we are totally unworthy objects of God's love. And yet, while we are unworthy in the sense of not being able to earn not deserving, not being able to do anything that would cause God to love us in this way. He does indeed love us, and he shows us how much he loves us by the value of the gift that he gave. Now, that's an incredible thing. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to suffer and die on that cross so that you could have your sins removed and spend eternity with him. And again, you know, I, I, I think we can often you know, look at that whole exchange and think that, you know, God in his love for, for me desires to give me something that I need because that's what I need. So he gives me this life, and now I'm able to have what I need and be satisfied and have joy and peace and all the things that he brings to me. But it's more than that. Because God gave his son for me and for you because he wants us for himself. It's not just simply so that we can have life. Well, that's what happens, but he wants you. He wants you for himself. And so he gave the greatest thing that he could give, his own son. And all of us who are parents in this room have some idea of what that means. If you've not yet had a child, you, you, you can't really relate. But especially when we consider this, this idea. Not only are we totally unworthy objects, and this is something for us to think about, you know, the, the love of God is not so great because the magnitude of it in the sense of all the people in the world who have ever existed have the possibility, the opportunity, the potential to be made right with God through the gift that God has given in his son. And we're talking about, I mean, right now, 6.3, 6.4 billion people on the earth. And then over the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of the history of the earth, every person who's ever been born. And really what we should say is every person who's ever been conceived in a womb. Everyone. That's an awful lot of people. That's an awful lot of love. But it's deeper than that. We look at the world around us. We look at the people in our own lives. We look at our own hearts. And we see all of the incredible, the, the incredible depth of the evil and wickedness of this world. 
that's what God loves. That's who God loves. The people who have this evil and this wickedness. You know, I, I think it is right to say that, I mean, right now we see what's going on in Israel. We understand the things that Hamas is doing. The orders that the leaders of Hamas are giving and then, you know, by extension, the, Iran, uh, uh, the leadership in Iran and all that stuff. But just think of the evil I mean, think about what happened on October 7th there in southern Israel, just outside of Gaza. What happened to those people that those Hamas soldiers brutally murdered and killed, throwing babies in ovens and basically cooking them to death, beheading them, torturing and, 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 and raping women before they killed them. People who have that kind of evil and wickedness and hatred inside of them, God loves. Those who spurned him, who rail against him. And even in our own lives, you know, we, we've got people in our lives. There are some people in our lives that we just love an awful lot because they are just easy to love, and we know that they love us, and, and so it, it, it works really well. Others that don't, others that have hurt us, others who have intentionally hurt us, brought pain into our lives. Would you give your own child to bless that person? Right? God did. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to uh, bring us to a place where we can somehow, and there's no way that we can adequately do it because God's love is so great. Everything about God is so great. In his holiness, he's so far above us that we can't really relate, but let's try to understand as best as we can the extent of God's love. And even for you and for me personally, while we may not have ever tortured somebody, there's still evil and wickedness naturally in our hearts. We still have rebellion. We have spurned God in the past. We've ignored him. Perhaps even spoken against him. And even this Christmas weekend, today or tomorrow, you and I will at some point sin. Much more than just once. You know, I mean, that, that's just our nature. But he loves us. He loves us. And one of the things as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here in this chapter, and if you've got a red letter Bible, you'll see the, all these red letters here in John chapter 3. I mean, it goes all the way through verse 21. I just want to bring up a point that 
there are um, many who believe that Jesus actually stopped speaking in ver- at the end of verse 15, and then beginning in verse 16, that's, ju- that's just basically commentary by John. And we might think, well, wh- well, what difference does that make? Well, essentially, bottom line, none. Because it is all the word of God. These are the words that John wrote in the in, in the Greek language. There aren't uh, quotation marks and so forth like that. And so, those who are doing the translating have to do the best they can to determine what what is Jesus actually saying. What what are are, are, the, are the comments and all. And I mean, that can get kind of crazy and get overly used and so forth. The bottom line is, it's all the word of God, whether it is John writing something that he is quoting Jesus as saying, or if he is summarizing something that he remembers Jesus talking about, it's all inspired by God's spirit. So in that regard, it doesn't really make any difference. You know what I'm saying by that? You know what I mean? But as John is writing here, speaking about the incredible love of God. He understood it. In fact, he's the one who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. The only one who wrote that way. He obviously had a sense of Jesus' love for him. But God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. He gave He's a, he's a gift. You know, as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate through the exchange of gifts, don't we? Um, Jesus says, Je- Jesus told us, as Paul quotes him, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know what? I think that we've really experienced that. You know, I just think of some of the moments in, in, in giving a gift and watching that, that one for whom I gave or, or to whom I gave that gift and just wanting to see the expression on their face and, 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 and their own joy in receiving it and so forth. And one thing that pops up in my mind is a gift that I gave to my wife many, many years ago. And our, our kids were small. I'm thinking... We, we have this picture. In fact, we, we, we showed this picture, actually, at the uh, memorial for service for, for my honey. Um, she had received this gift, and, and, and uh, she just had so much joy, so much joy. What I, uh, and my, and my kid, our kids were uh, probably uh, 12, 10, and 8 or something like that. So this is going back to... Uh, about 1984 or so, something like that. Um, we didn't have much money, you know. Um, I, I was, at that point in time, I, I was, uh, I mean, we were believers, of course, so we, we were in ministry and all, and uh, I, I was I was working uh, uh, for uh, Purex pool products at the time, not making a lot of money, but we were doing okay, but didn't have much that we could give each other, you know. And 
Jeanette and I had kind of agreed that, you know, we don't have that much money, so, you know, that's kind of easy on the guests. Okay, you know. So anyway, what, what I did, and I let the kids in on this because uh, I wanted to surprise her, and what I did, I, I bought her a pair of orange socks, her favorite color, and I, I did buy, I don't know where I, I don't remember where I got it, I don't know if it was, if it was Kmart or Macy's or what, I don't remember, but just a little pair of uh, diamond earrings, you know, little quarter carat, you know, I, I think I paid maybe $100 for it at Kmart or something like that, but I had, I bought her the socks and then I pinned the the earrings on the socks, and then I just wrapped up the socks and gave her the socks. This is all I got for you, babe. You know, so, and, and all the kids knew about it. We, we did it together. We put it in all the, and so they, they, they were all excited. They were waiting for Mama to open up this gift, and it was so worthwhile. Um, just remember the joy, the incredible joy on her face. You know, and I think that more than anything, you know, she opened it up, and she was, she, she saw that there was something in there. She got this huge <laughs> smile. And then she, she, when she saw what they were, I mean, her face just was beaming with joy. She put them to her chest like this. And it was just marvelous, just wonderful. One of my wonderful memories of her. You know, and um, but truly, you know, I mean, I think of that. And that truly, it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then I think about how much, how much, God feel? How much joy must he have when he sees the gift of his son that he gave for us and us receiving that gift, benefiting from that gift and walking, walking with him and experiencing the joy and the hope and the love that only Jesus can bring to us. How much joy must that place into God's heart himself when he sees that taking place, right? It's just an incredible thing. But yes, the exchange of gifts. You know, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, we're not going to go into what our response needs to be, but should be, but we see it right there. We see in John 3.16 the, the reality of the, the, the necessity of faith that whoever believes in him should not perish. Faith. Faith comes by hearing. We shared this last week, Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ephesians 2.8.9 tells us that for by grace you have been saved or you have been, you have been delivered from the consequences of sin. That's what that means, of course. By grace you've been saved through faith. It is the grace of God that saves us, but, it, but faith is the vehicle through which we receive that grace. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is, a, it is the, the gift of God. And remember what I shared with you last week that to quote from Warren Wiersbe, I just want to share that again with you. I mean, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and when the sinner believes, imparts the life of God. 
I just really love the way that he words that. So faith being a, a very integral aspect of this. Whoever believes in him, not just for the Jew, as Nicodemus might want to think, as the Jews at that time wanted to think, certainly, but for all, whoever, anyone who would place his or her faith in Jesus. Should not perish. Now that tells us something. These words indicate that this is the natural state of every human being. We are in a place, in a state of perishing. And what does that mean, perishing? I mean, we're all sitting here alive, right? Well, physically we are, but maybe not spiritually. We may be, spiritually, we may be separated from God because of our own sinfulness. And again, as we've talked already, we've talked about what, what Jesus did for us, taking our sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might receive or we might become the righteousness of God in him that exchange that he gives. But this speaks of the natural state of people. So everyone who has not yet received Christ, not yet honoring Christ, not yet acknowledging who he is and what he did for us, and acknowledging his or her own personal need for it, is still in that state of perishing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the only way we can come to a place where we wouldn't perish spiritually through what Jesus did for us. That's an important point for us to understand. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then three chapters later, in chapter 6, verse 23, Romans, for the wages of sin is death, what we earn through our sinfulness is separation from God, death. But the gift of God, there in Romans 6.23, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And eternal life, by the way, does not mean that, uh, doesn't speak of eternal existence. For some people who believe that once this life is over, that's it, and that person is done, gone, no, no life whatsoever afterwards, no heaven, nothing afterwards, no, no afterlife at all, that's just it. This doesn't mean that, well, that gets extended and, and you continue to exist. No, it, it means that we are able to live in the presence of God for eternity, having connection with him and his life, because we are all created as eternal beings, every one of us. We are eternal beings. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then we see verse 17 and 18 real quickly. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, something I think that is common in our world today is even as we might love someone enough to um, bring to them, attempt to bring to them an awareness of their own personal sinfulness and thus need for forgiveness, you know, they'll, they'll call us haters. You know, um, And why, why are you judging me like that? Right? And it, it's just an issue of stating the fact that every single person who exists was born with a sin nature. And it's acted out in different ways in, in our lives, but it's a sin nature, and we, we need the forgiveness of God. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. He came to deliver us from the condemnation that we already have, as verse 18 alludes to. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So really, at this, for us, something for us to realize is that because all of us are born in sin, that's a common for all of us. We all have sin, and we all sin because of it. That sin does indeed bring separation from God, so every one of us begins our life in that sense. Now, we can talk about children and the age of accountability and those kinds of things, right? And But we, we don't want to deal with that now. But the point is that we have a sin nature that separates us from God, and the only remedy to that is Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That's the point. God gave him to us so that we won't perish but have eternal life. That's why he gave him to us. And if we fail to acknowledge Christ, then we stand in that same condemnation continually and if we never acknowledge Christ, we die with that condemnation and we'll be separated from him forever. Existing, but separated from him. But those who acknowledge him, those who believe in him, those who understand why he came and what he did and our need, is not just simply believing that he exists. Believing in him doesn't mean believing, oh yeah, I believe that there was a Jesus, you know, I'm yeah, history tells us that there, there was this guy. But, you know, it's like believing that he is who the Bible says he is, that he did what the Bible says he did because of what the Bible says about our need for him and our sinfulness and so forth because of that, believing all that. That's what it means to believe in him. And if we do, we will be delivered from the consequences of that sin. He who does not believe is condemned already. I already am condemned whether I know it or not. 
and I can ask, and I can say, why do you judge me? It doesn't mean I'm not under condemnation. I can say, I'm not a bad guy. That doesn't mean I'm not under condemnation. I can argue with it. It doesn't mean it's not true. Because if God said it, that means it's true. He's our creator. He's God. He is truth. And the spirit of truth brings us to our awareness. And Romans 8.1 tells us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that is connected to the last part of Romans chapter 7, when Paul the Apostle, as he's writing, he's writing about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. We're familiar with that passage, right? The things that I don't want to do, that's what I wind up doing. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do that. Oh, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though we go through that struggle, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's changing us. And so, the love of God, the incredible love of God, who will love us in this way to give his son for us so that we don't have to remain to be in that condemnation. And the truth of the matter is, as much as we don't want to, to um, think about this, so many people around us who don't yet know him stand in that condemnation. And what are we going to do about that? Bear with them the truth, amen? But live before them the truth of who God is as he does his work in us and changes us. For God so loved you that he gave his own begotten son that if you are to acknowledge him, if you are to believe in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. And Father, I pray that every person in here is in a place that we can say we've acknowledged your truth, we acknowledge of who you are, Lord Jesus, what you've done for us, acknowledge our own need, where we stand, our own sinful condition, all these things. And we've received your life. We've been born again, receiving life from above, life from you. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. But Lord, there may be some in this room right now who've yet to do that. They've not acknowledged you. They don't acknowledge their own sinfulness. They've not yet. And maybe even as they may struggle with things and want to do better or whatever it is, Lord, you, you know what's going on with, with our hearts. I just pray, Father, that any who've not yet acknowledged their need for you, Lord Jesus, and have not yet acknowledged who you are and what you've done, that those would come to that place of receiving the truth. I just want to pray for everyone in this room right now. And Lord, I do pray for everyone here. 
if there's someone who's not yet made that acknowledgement, Lord, touch their heart. Draw them to yourself. Make them aware of you. Make them aware of themselves. Cause them to understand, to know what you have done out of your great love. Oh, how you've loved us. How you have loved us, Lord. I pray that you bring that life, that you bring that hope, that joy, and that life. So God, I give them to you. I give every heart to you now. As we do sit with our eyes still closed and our heads still bowed, if, if there is anyone in the room right now who wants to now acknowledge that you are aware of that need, you're aware of what Jesus has done, and you want in your heart to acknowledge the truth of that, and you want to begin to follow him as God, as Lord, as Savior, would you raise your hand right now? Anyone? Anyone who may want to, to just begin to follow uh, Jesus, acknowledging your need for his forgiveness. Father, I pray for every heart that is here, even though hands are raised. We do pray that means that everyone here has done that, has acknowledged you. But if that's not the case, Lord, continue your work, Lord, we pray, to, to begin your work in their hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.